So congratulations, Scott. You're an expert in the Scott's catalog again. Yes. Yeah. Brian just sent me a uh, copy of the page and said, says right there, Scott Murphy, expert and contributor to Lynn's Magazine. You know, I haven't got my catalog yet either. I did get a letter that says <laughs> I was going to get one, but I didn't get the catalog yet. So you're famous. Congratulations, you're famous. Can I have your autograph? Anytime. On the bottom of my paycheck? Just grab a worksheet. Yeah, there you go. Ah, <laughs> <clears throat> uh, So we don't have a Don today, so you want to do the countdown? Tom can do it. Sure. Go for it, Tom. Five, four, three, two, one. Look at them, madam. Have you ever in your entire life seen anything so beautiful? I'm sorry, I don't know anything about stamps. Oh. This is the gentle art of philately, otherwise known as stamp collecting. Here's a pile of stamps carefully culled from swap meets and garage sales. Rupert, what are you thinking of? Oh, I was just thinking of all the years I've wasted collecting stamps. Oh, like stamp collecting. Oh, that's all right. That's quite a nice hobby, that. Yeah, but it's not enough. Don't you understand? I'm lonely. I'm so terribly lonely. All right, Homer. You beat those stamp Nazis with good old-fashioned American complaining. Homer, if it weren't for you, we'd be at the mercy of weekend philatelists. You know, why didn't you just say stamp collectors? Because I'm tired of dumbing myself down for you. From Spain and two from Japan I got a couple from Israel and Azerbaijan I got a plenty from Poland but none from Sudan Or from Fiji or Uzbekistan Stamp collecting happens when we dream together Live from Carl's Jr. on the I-15 West going to the Seskal Stamp Show Which we're never going to get to because the 15 runs north and south You know that, right? Not east and west. Have you looked at a map? Have you looked at the street signs? <laughs> well, the 10 in California, it goes north-south. So, of course, it starts in California and ends in Georgia. Because Georgia is north of or south of California. I'm not sure which. You're still wrong. <laughs> well, I'm Cash, and I have a prediction. I predict in a few moments, a famous star with no tomatoes will appear before me magically. I'm Scott, and I don't even like Carl's Jr. <laughs> <laughs> Make pretend. This is this is our fantasy Carl's Jr. Uh, episode. I'm going to boycott it. Oh. <laughs> take a knee. I'll take a knee. <laughs> and you're our stamp mistress, Tom. I'm your stamp mister. <laughs> Get it straight, bucko. This is Tom, and according to Cash, I have a self-driving car, which is pretty cool, and it likes Wendy's, so, mm. which is true, because it's way better than Carl's Jr. Hey, just saying. according to Cash, he's going to buy us all self-driving cars. You can all have a self-driving car. Just throw it into drive, and then lay back and relax. It'll go someplace. That's self-idling. <laughs> So buckle your seatbelt, set the cruise control to 55, lay back, close your eyes, and uh, no, not if you're the driver. Today we're going to be talking about stamp shows. Oh, look, there's a stamp show nearby. Yeah. <laughs> Seskel. Stamp show here today. 
Hopefully everyone listening has been to a stamp show. If you haven't, then you are missing out on stamps, stamp exhibits, and sometimes cake. I thought that was only at the uh, first day ceremonies. Well, that is cake. There will be cake. You bringing it? No, that's an old meme from... Uh, what, what was that game? What was... Uh, at the end, there will be cake. And then at the end, uh, there's a whole thing on the cake is a lie. <laughs> Probably true. <laughs> I mean, I, I vaguely remember that, but I don't remember it being a video game. Yeah, it was. And I forget the name of the video game. You had to... I know... Uh, we can ask Calvin Hildo. <laughs> well, Tom is going to Google it. There will... Well, he beat me. <laughs> <laughs> and Calvin is faster than the internet. Because <laughs> Calvin's answer was portal. Yes. The winning answer is portal. Calvin, you're faster than the internet. <laughs> <laughs> so given that a majority of stamp collectors want to sell their stamp collection themselves, we have discussed stamp auctions and selling to dealers. But what if you became a dealer. What if you pay for a table and sell your own stamps? I've seen that done. Yeah. So, Scott and Cash, being veteran stamp show dealers, what advice can you give to the listeners who want to sell stamps as a stamp dealer at a stamp show? Well, first of all, you have to decide how much you're going to ask. Now, remember, if you're a stamp dealer and you do this for a living... You have to have acquired your stamps at a low price, and you have to sell them for more. Buy low, sell high. Heard that someplace. And not every single stamp has to make you money, but overall, you have to be in the black. Mm -hmm. You can't lose money overall. Now, being a collector, you've already started by buying high. And realize that... Yes, you're going to get more money by selling to other collectors than you would by selling to a dealer. Buy a lot. Buy a lot. But the market may have changed since you bought your stamps, so you may end up selling individual stamps at a loss. If you bought a stamp at the height of the market and you paid $500 for the stamp and you look in the catalog and it says $350, well, you, you can't charge $500 or more for that stamp. It's just nobody's going to pay it. You have to you have to be realistic. If you walked into that same stamp show and were looking for that stamp today, what would you expect to pay for that stamp? It's not going to be $500. I would like to even put it more direct. The price that you paid for a stamp has absolutely no relevance whatsoever to the value of that stamp. Correct. If, if you bought a stamp for a quarter, it might be worth $100. If you bought a stamp for $100, it may be worth a quarter. What you paid for it doesn't matter. And I, you know, I have this all the time. A, a dealer, you know, I'll say, well, I'll give you 50 bucks for it. And he says, I, I paid more than that for it. And I go, well, okay. <laughs> you know, I don't care. <laughs> My job is not to make sure that you get a profit. Right. That's your job is to make sure you get a profit. Not the buyer's job. Yeah, and then it's just, okay, you know, I'm not going to pay your price, but that doesn't mean somebody else won't. You know, you could very well, you know, hold it and sell it later. You could, but if the object is to sell off some stamps, then you're not necessarily going to want to hold out 
for that somebody who may or may not appear within the next few weeks, months, years, oh yeah, decades. You may not want to wait that long. So um, if it's a fair offer, consider it. If it's a ridiculous offer, yes, you can obviously disregard that. Yeah. But um, And the more you hang out at a stamp show, the more you're going to understand what a fair offer is. I mean, you're out there, as a collector, you were out there buying stamps. So you kind of have an idea of what things are valued at. Oh, yeah. You, you could, people, you, be aware, if you do a stamp show and you get a table, chances are, you know, 10, 15% that a dealer will walk up to you and say, how much for your table? And just buy everything you have, but he's going to give you a lower price. Be prepared to have that number, though. Yeah, yeah. I mean, do not if you go to a stamp show with material... Be prepared for somebody to walk up. Have an idea of what you would take for absolutely everything. I mean, you may say, well, the catalog value is $10,000. Okay, but would you be okay taking 1000 or 2000 yeah. for everything? I mean, do you have really high-end stuff? Do you have mid-range, low-range stuff? What Do you have a mix of everything, collections and singles and all that? What do you have? Okay. And what would you be willing to take for everything? Have an idea. If you don't know what everything is worth to, a, as a whole, then it's going to be hard to come up for, with that number. But if you have an idea of what at least what the catalog value is, that's a starting point for you. If, if you don't know what the catalog number is and somebody comes up and offers you $1,000 for your booth, you're going to say no. Yeah. But... If you know that everything in the booth is only worth $2,000, somebody comes up and offers you $1,000, you go, hey, yeah, I'll take that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Give me the thousand bucks, I'm going home. Yeah. yeah. Well, there have, been, there have been stamp shows, and Arcadia comes to mind, where you'll have like a beginning collector who maybe has like $500 worth of stamps, and you'll have a dealer who couldn't get the table. And he'll walk up and he'll buy your table, just so that he kicks you out and puts his stuff on the table. I've seen that happen too. Yeah. Yeah, but... And also, when another thing on the side, not selling to a dealer, but selling to collectors. Be aware that all the collectors are going to ask for a discount. If you want a dollar for something, price it at a buck and a quarter. Now, here's the hitch, and here's the mistake that I see everybody make who's a beginning collector. They'll go, here how much, and you knock the quarter off immediately. That's a mistake. Knock 10 cents off or 15 cents off or something. Leave a little bit because he, he might very well say, eh, and go, okay, you're twisting my arm. Oh, my God. Okay, I'll knock a quarter off. Now the guy feels like he's getting a fair deal. You're getting pretty much exactly the number that you'd expect. Just expect negotiation. If you don't, if you price everything and you want to hold firm, not only are you going to like maybe not sell as much stuff, but you're actually going to make people angry because they go to the show and they say, you know, I spent 10 bucks in gas. I'm going to buy your stuff, but I'm going to take $10 off. Well, it's okay. You raised your price by $25. So taking $10 off is nothing. But if you don't take anything off, you literally piss people off. Well, 
just remember, you're a collector and you will go to a stamp show. What do you expect? You expect the dealer to give you a discount in most cases. Even on marked prices, forget about discount off Scott Catalog, discount off the marked price. Well, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, everything's negotiable at a stamp show. It's, it's, not, it's, it's like walking into a car dealership, not like walking into Walmart. Mm. Uh, everything's negotiable. And you've known that for years as a collector. You walk in and you never pay the first price marked unless you know that it's mismarked and yeah. you're, you're, you know something that the dealer doesn't and you're getting a good deal anyway. You generally don't pay what's marked. If you're, of course, if you're smart, you still bargain, but you just make sure you walk away with it. <laughs> well, my, but uh, I did that. I had a, a person had a U.S. number 16. That's the uh, 10 cent. Washington, uh, Green Washington with the recuts. He had it marked as a number 15. He, the catalog value at the time of the item was like probably about 275, 275. And a number 15 is like 185. No, and they, no, 15 is 275. A, a 16 would have been much more. Oh, well, anyway, it was cheaper because it was a while ago. Anyway, he charged a high price for a 15 and it had a thin, it had a very large thin in it. And, as a number 16, it was, you know, 2% of catalog. But as a number 15, it was, like, really, really highly priced. And I was, I I pegged them off. I mean, obviously, I, I ripped them off because I didn't say, excuse me, this is a 16. And you can fault me for that if you want. But I paid the price. And it was like, God, you know, if this was a 15, he would have totally been ripping me off. And he wouldn't negotiate. He didn't give me a dime off. And I still remember that. I mean, I've, I've found lots of stuff, but I remember that one because he didn't negotiate the price. You also have to remember that, uh, in when we're, we're talking about stamps and dealers are professionals, collectors are amateurs. Okay. And when a professional deals with an amateur, it's, it's one thing when it, when an amateur deals with an amateur, it's one thing. When a professional deals with a professional, the gloves come off. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, if, if he's got it mismarked, if a dealer has it mismarked and you're a collector or another dealer, you, you go ahead and, and take him. But if you're a collector or an amateur and a dealer comes up, he is bound by ethical rules to tell you that it's mismarked. Yeah. Then you can decide whether you want to sell it at that price or not sell it to him. But he is bound by uh, ethical and actually legal laws in many states to tell you he cannot take advantage of you because he's a professional and you're not. So um, when you turn those tables and now you're behind the table, you are now the professional. Yep, you're open season. And so it's open season on you. If you mismark something, they don't have to tell you. Yep. So just remember that. Well, let's get into table fees a little bit. Yeah, right. <laughs> here is my opinion, and here's how I base the value. Take the attendance. Take how many people walk in the front door. You should try to pay about 50 cents per person that walks in the front door. 
if there are some stamp shows that will charge you a dollar per person who walks in the front door. So if you have a stamp show and it gets 500 people, your table probably should be right around the 200 to 250 range. There are exceptions. You know, there are some places where you know the clientele that's going to come in and you'll pay a little higher. But generally speaking, if you go to these big shows and you pay $1,000 for a table, chances are there's going to be about 2,000 people walking in through the front door. Or more. Or more. If it's more, then hey, you made a good deal. But you should really, really look to see how many people go to the show and then the show promoter is going to charge somewhere between 50 and 75 cents a person. Now, there are some shows that charge more. There are some shows that charge less, like club shows, obviously. But uh, generally speaking, that's a pretty good rule of thumb. Another thing, if you do a show and you don't sell a lot of material, understand people have to get to know you. They might walk by your table a dozen times at half a dozen shows before they get up the courage to come and say hi, unless they already know you. And it's like advertising. They have to see you. They have to see your regular. They have to see your face. And, and maybe you say hi to them every single time. And, you know, it's going to take three, four, five times. Some people will stop the first time yep. just to check you out. Yeah. But other... As stamp collectors, a lot of stamp collectors are introverted to at least some extent. And meeting new people is out of the comfort zone. So just realize that it may take doing the show a number of times, especially if it's like a monthly show. You're going to have to do it month after month. So they see your face. They get used to seeing you. So they're more comfortable before they come up and, and, and ask to look at see what you have. So... Just understand that those first couple of shows may not be very productive. Consider it as advertising. And the show might not work for you. You know, you may be in an area where everybody collects, you know, postal history of Texas. You know, you're in Houston somewhere. And all you have is postal stamps of Czechoslovakia. Yeah, exactly. So it, it might be, you know, difficult. And that's another thing that, you know, we'll get into. But what type of inventory do you carry? You also have to look and see what type of inventory the other dealers carry. Because if you're carrying U.S. material and you're in the United States and there are seven other dealers at the show that carry only U.S., that's seven other dealers you have competition with. Well, if you go to the show and all of the other dealers, it's a small, let's say it's a small show, there's eight dealers. And six of them carry worldwide one of them does covers. Well, the worldwide guys are going to have some U.S. But if you're doing U.S. only, your U.S. should be the star of the show. Mm -hmm. So just keep in mind, look at the dealer list. You know, if you're going to do a show, check out the show the month before you do it and see what kind of mix of dealers are there as well. To, that might tell you, oh, this area is of material is underserved and that might be a type of material that you would bring to the show in expectation that you might entice somebody to buy it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Your inventory though, that's the tough thing is if you're a collector and you say, I want to be a dealer, 
you're going to be selling the stuff you have. Yeah. So if you are a collector of, I don't know, Confederate states, then you're going to go there and Confederate states are very popular. You'll probably do very well. But how deep is your inventory? Exactly. Do you have one of each or do you have, you know, 15 of this, 15 of that, one of this one? You know, Confederate states is difficult because it's... There's 14 numbers and then... There's 14, <laughs> the there's 14 general issues. There's a whole bunch of postmaster provisionals. And then there's postal history. Now, granted, there's a a lot there to offer, but it's it's there's less diversity from a uh, from a, a stamp point of view than there is from a postal history point of view. Mm-hmm. And so, it, if you do collect Confederates, you're going to have your your inventory is not going to be deep. It may be broad, but it's not going to be deep. Mm-hmm. You're not going to have multiple copies of. Uh, you know, 13X number one. nines or something like that. Y- you know, yeah. You might have a bunch of 11s, but how many number 10s are you going to have? Right. Are you going to have 10? No, <laughs> probably not. By the way, everybody, 10s uh, and 9s are uh, rel- very scarce stamps. So that's very scarce um, and even more scarce in good condition. Yep. So. Um, and do you have a number 10 on cover? Well, that's a, that's something that leads in. How do you present your stuff? Now me and Scott do it slightly different. Yeah. I break mine down by, by value. Um, the lower value stuff goes on a smaller card. The mid range stuff goes on a larger card. And then the high value, what I deem high value stuff goes on in a uh, three ring binder. And, um, you know, I, I break things down. I choose a value cutoff based on the amount of material I have so that probably about 85 to 90% of my stuff is on the small cards. The 102 cards. The 102 cards. And the stuff that I would actually feel a financial pinch if somebody were to steal it is the stuff that goes in the books. And that's going to stay on the back table where I have to hand the book to somebody when they request to see it so that I can keep track of that material a little more closely. The smaller cards I can put out uh, and people can just come up and sit down. They don't necessarily have to interact with me immediately to look through those boxes. Yeah, for me, see, I'm a little different. I have dollar covers and then I have collections. I don't have a lot of individual items, uh, individual stamps. So people will sort through my covers and then I'll have a couple of collections. And if I sell a collection, then, you know, I've paid for my table. That, that's my big goal is to sell the stuff I sell on eBay. Uh, if people don't remember that, I talk about it all the time. The reason I do stamp shows is because there is stuff you can sell at stamp shows that you cannot sell on eBay efficiently. Well, yeah, the, and that would tend to be lower value stuff because eBay will eat up too much of your cost low value stuff and the people like it because they can go through and sort you know i have probably have five thousand covers and they go through and pick out five covers for five bucks i couldn't sell that on ebay because i would have to scan and list all five thousand covers absolutely and it it takes time and money 
if time, if you're scanning it yourself, it's a lot of time investment. Oh, yeah. And if you're paying somebody, that's profit that right. you're paying them out of. So uh, either way, it works out. And then the other thing is just collections are almost impossible to show on eBay. You know, you might may have a collection that goes over 100 pages and there may be only 100 stamps in it. And somebody wants it for the book and the couple of stamps that are in it. Shipping is difficult. Packaging it is difficult. And then describing it is difficult. Whereas if you throw it on your table, somebody comes in, thumbs in through it and says, how much? And you go, well, it's marked $25. And you go, I'll give you 20 You go, thank you very much. Give me my $20. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I know that it's, you know, when I go to a stamp show, I like to look through collections and if I can find something in there that I want, or I think that I can resell for a decent price, I'll consider buying it. But it, it can be, you know, collections can be hit and miss. They ha definitely have to be priced right. Uh, if you were to buy the individual items from the collection, it would cost you more. Mm -hmm. But as a dealer, it also costs you more in time and resources to break it up. Yeah. Well, I just bought a U.S. collection from Ray. Hey, Ray. Shout out to Ray. And um, I took everything out before 1925, pieced it up to put it on eBay. Everything after 19, between 1925 and I think it went to 1992. I just kept it in the binder, added up face. And I'm charging half face. And it has like a full set of uh, famous Americans. It has the uh, Prexies up to $2. It has the uh, presidentials and everything like that. You know, uh, Prexy set up to $2 and famous Americans at half face, fine. But you have to buy all the rest too. <laughs> right, right. And, you know, depending on how it's in the, in, the, in the book, if it's hinged in, it's pretty much postage. If it's in mounts and and the stamps are actually never hinged then then they can be saleable if they're nice but uh, then you have to find somebody that's at that point in their collection as well well that's the thing is this actually was a stamp collector's collection everything was in mounts there's 250 stamps there i have to go through and find out which ones are hinged which ones are never hinged no, nah, I don't want to put the labor in here. Give right. me half face and get it out of here. Right, right. And, you know, if you handle enough collections, you're going to have plenty of face anyway, so it's not going to be a big issue. Oh, yeah. But, I mean, I've been collecting for so long. I have all of that stuff in multiple, <laughs> oh, yeah. multiples. I, I just have a ton of it. But what I've decided to do is I've decided to take I – bu I bought a Hingeless album, and I'm going to take – and I'm only going to put – grade 95 mm -hmm. modern stuff in there and as i run across it i'll add it to the book and it doesn't have you know it, it just has to be grade 95 and so when i'm done and this may i anticipate this is going to take a while <laughs> i will have an entire collection of grade 95 modern never hinged stamps that's cool and you know when you p drop that as a collection on the table Somebody's going to go, wow. Oh, yeah. And, and they're not going to pay face for it. No, no, no. They're going to they're gonna pay, you know, a good amount of money for this. Right, right. And it's not going to be three, four, five cents a stamp. Yeah, why don't we go into grading real quick? Of course, we have a vested interest, so we're not going to say anything about how great grading is. It's great. But when you have expensive items, 
or inexpensive items. Well, particularly any item, any item, any. Let's say an item that sells for more than three hundred bucks. Well, when when you buy a house, what what is the saying? What makes a house worth the money? Location, location, location. Well, when you're doing collectibles, it's condition, condition, condition. Whether that's centering, soundness. I mean, it's the whole package. It's condition. If you have something from the 1920s and it is absolutely pristine, no rounded corners, uh, if it's a document like a piece of paper, no rounded corners, no dirt, no soiling, bright and fresh as the day it was printed, that's quality condition and you can charge more for that a lot than, more a lot more than if, if you had you the same item that had just you, been hand handled yeah and if you don't charge more people will come up because it's a stamp show and they will buy all your high quality stuff and leave you with everything else and they will go off and say wow i really picked that guy off be aware that condition drives things and on expensive stuff you need to have a certificate, whether it's PSEPF, PSAG, anybody. But there has to be a certificate with it because people are always going to question the authenticity of items. So between those two things, it'll kind of prevent you from getting picked off. If you have a ZEP set and it's not certified by somebody, you know, it, it'll sell but it won't sell as much and it definitely will not sell as fast. You want to market your material and you want to present it well. Now, if you have like 102 and 104 cards like me and Scott do, you know, who cares? You know, if a five cent stamp has a tear in it and you miss the tear, it's like, oh, damn, I wasted a nickel. If you do that with a $500 item, you have a pissed off customer. Oh, absolutely. So, Condition is everything, and um, and you know it comes down to also it comes down to centering. If you have a a stamp that catalogs fifty cents, and the perforations are cutting in on two sides, and it's a it's supposed to be a nice size stamp, well, that stamp is pretty much, in my opinion, garbage. Mm -hmm. You don't even don't even waste your time on it. Um, I just sold on eBay. If, if you're yeah. going to sell it, it goes in a box lot. Yeah. I just sold on eBay. Uh, I believe it was the 15 cent agriculture official catalogs, $230. I sold it for $15. And I was honestly shocked that I got that because it had such a big tear and was so poorly centered that I was actually shocked that anybody would want it for their collection at all in well, any case. I, I mean, collectors come in all, all sorts of flavors. Um, you have collectors who, who have zero budget, and they still want to fill the spaces in their album just as much as the collector who yeah. has a zillion dollars. So uh, there is a market for everything <laughs> at a price. That reminds me, I made a $1 million collection once. And it was all faulty. It was mismarked stuff. It was counterfeits and fakes and forgeries. But if everything was real, it would be a catalog value of a $1 million. You could do it, and you could do it relatively cheaply. I, I, I saw a guy, he was a collector, and he only collected faulty stamps <laughs> mm -hmm. because he could not 
you know, he was I, either couldn't or wouldn't pay for the the stamps, you know, what they were yeah. actually cataloged for. Yeah. Well, that's another thing. Before you get to the show, put a price on everything. You know, every album that I put on, I have a price on it. Oh, absolutely. Then if people want to pick out of it, if they say, well, I want this stamp, I don't want the whole thing, I just want this stamp, I charge them blood. I, I charge them like full catalog. Oh, absolutely. And then negotiate, maybe I'll give it to them for half or something. Where the entire catalog, uh, the entire album may be like 10% of catalog, I'll charge him 50 if he wants to pick out just one item. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, basically, and a lot of times you pull out one, you know, half a dozen items and it's not going to affect what you need to get for the co- the collection oh, anyway. Yeah, not at all. I mean, you don't even miss the stamp that's gone. Yeah. yeah. And that that's another thing. When you go to a stamp show and you've got 20 boxes of material, when you go home at the end of the day, you're you're likely going to have 20 boxes yeah. of material. <laughs> you're not even going to notice what you sell if you're selling single items. Yeah. If you're selling collections, you'll notice or or bulky items. But if you're if you're not, then you're really not going to notice a difference in your inventory. But well, if you're doing stamp show after stamp, if you're doing the same show over and over again, just remember, uh, as a as a collector, if you've already looked through a dealer's stock and he hasn't put anything new in there, what's the point of looking again? Yeah. So just remember that you don't need to take all of your material to your first show. Because you do it again, you want to have new stuff to get that same collector to come back and look again. That's actually something I ran across a lot um, when we were doing the Disney pin trading stuff, is you'd run into one or two people, and they always had the same stuff in their books repeatedly. It never changed. And you got to a point where, okay, they're either showing up and they're not trading. It's, It's like a... You know, ooh, here's my stuff. It's pretty, but I'm never going to trade you, which there are people who did that. But it's just like, you know, if I look through it this week and I happen to go back to the park and see you again and I look through it in a week or two weeks and it's the same exact stuff and it's the same stuff that I didn't want last time, the chances of me coming to you a third time within the next maybe three months to see if something has changed, I won't. I mean, it's like I've already seen everything in your book. Yeah, and the only reason to do that is maybe you saw something there that somebody else you were trading with wanted and you didn't have. At least you know where you can go get it. But other than that, there's no real need to go back and see that guy. And it's the same thing at a stamp show. If your stock is stale, and that's what we call it, if your stock's not changing, if your stock is stale then your customers won't keep coming by. They will move on and go somewhere else. Yep. So if you do something like take a table and it's just to sell the stuff that you have, eventually you're not going to have people show up anymore because you know, they see what you have, and every time they come there's just a little bit less of it, but it's all the same stuff. Eventually they'll just stop coming. I mean, you're going to have to get to a point when you're trying to do that where you're going to have to try and, unless your only goal is to sell out and be out of it, you know, well, you're going to have is the case. You're going to have to stop doing shows eventually. Well, no. What you would do is, you then go. You, then you have to start discounting. It. Right. You say, okay. You know, oh, you come look at my stuff and it says, oh, I saw it last month and go, well, now it's ten percent less. I marked off ten percent. 
And then they go, oh, okay, let me look through it again. It's the well, stuff that was too expensive, maybe it's... Mm. The identification. <clears throat> yeah, and uh, people, you know, one thing when we were talking about tables, we were mentioning like 50 to 75 cents a person who walks in the front door. Generally speaking, table fees, because you have to take that into account, you have to pay for your table. Oh, absolutely. Table fees range generally between about 100 and $125. There are many shows that charge between 50 and $75. When you go to the big shows, those people are paying between $1,000 and $1,200. So pick your shows. You know, if you have cheap stock and you, you know, you want to, again, you're paying per person who comes in through the front door. Well, and anybody who went to the stamp show in New York in May this year, the the once every ten year May yeah, uh, yeah. New York show, uh, you know some of those dealers paid forty, fifty, a hundred thousand dollars for their booth. Oh yeah, they were they were paying I mean, two, three dollars per person who came I mean, in. Yeah, that is just a. You have to realize that is pure expense that comes right off of your profit line. I mean, if you're a dealer and you're paying $10,000 for a booth. Which many did. Which many did. You have to expect to be making in profit probably fifty dollars to $150,000 minimum just to, just to set up at that show. Well. Other, you have to have that expectation. Other, and you have to have the material, yeah. obviously, to be able to support that. So... Uh, I mean, that's definitely something you need to think about is how much is this table going to cost me? And do I reasonably expect that to be able to be covered by what I get? Now, if you're a collector. If you have a $500 collection, don't be paying for a $500 booth. Right, exactly. Yeah, (laughs) You you might as well just donate your collection and take take the (laughs) write-off. Again, this is for people who are like looking to sell their collection. If you're planning on becoming a stamp dealer who does shows all the time, then you do have the problem with rotating stock, stuff like that. A lot of times what I do is I will sell stuff, maybe even at a loss. I mean, I think I've told people before, I make money on about a third of my stuff, break even on a third and lose money on a third. The third that I lose money on is not that significant. And the third that I make money on is significant. Well, but what it does, but what it accomplishes is it gets rid of the stuff well, so you, that new stuff comes in. I, I speak with a lot of people who disagree with me. And like I said, I'm willing to lose on about a third of my stuff. There are people out there who say I am not willing to lose on any of my stuff. Well, there's a lot of people out there. Like there's a lot of people. The problem that I see and, that, and this is just, this is a fine thing for them to do. That, that's a hurdle that every collector has to overcome because when you collect things, they become like your babies. Well, no. It, and, it, and you I'm, have to I'm let those at, go. I'm looking at it from a monetary standpoint, though. Let's make pretend that we don't care about that part. If you have one third of your stuff that is overpriced, right? You can't sell it. Right. So it's overpriced. So what do you have? You have one third of the stuff that collects up in your back room. Yes. So you start building this huge inventory. You have this great inventory (laughs) that you take to the shows that you can't sell. 
Yeah. And everybody goes, wow, look at how much stuff this guy has. It's all overpriced. Well, the hitch is, is that it's not free to you. No, you have overhead. You have, you have storage. You, you have cost in it. You paid for this stuff. You're tying up inventory. Uh, right. So let's make, re- cash. let's make pretend you have a great inventory. It costs you $10,000 and you can't sell any of it. Well, maybe take $7,000, lose 3000 get rid of it all, take that 7000 and buy something that you can resell. You know, that's... But there are people who just refuse to lose money. Well, it's, it's the cost of working capital. And if, if you think about, okay, if you had that $10,000 that you've been storing for the last 10 years and you had taken it and instead put the cash in an investment over the last 10 years, how much money would you now have? Or just bought a better stamp. <laughs> or, yeah. Or bought, you know, taken that entire room full of stamps and bought one stamp. Right. And... I mean, how much more would you now have than, so you don't want to let things accumulate too long. You want to, you want to move them out. You know, if you have stock that's not moving because it's overpriced, move it out. Yeah. Get rid of it. I mean, well, that's that's my opinion. And now if you're a collector and you're just selling your collection, that's exactly what you're doing. You have stock and you want to get rid of it, Mm -hmm. you know. Is it overpriced? Well, throw it out there a few times, and if it doesn't sell, then it, you know. might, it yeah. might be. <laughs> it might be, or it might be just the right guy didn't walk in. Yeah. But uh, at least the point is it's not selling, so make it saleable. Yep. Ready for the petering act section? Because I have one more little thing. Uh, we didn't talk about signage. Oh, let's talk about signage. Okay. We'll peter out with signage. Okay. Um, when you show up to a stamp show, a lot of times the, the promoter will just have your name on the table where your booth is going to be, and it's up to you to advertise yourself to get customers to come to your table, whether that means a fancy printed sign telling if you're if you're just selling your collection, you don't want to invest a lot in the, into a sign, but even a homemade sign is good. You want to have something that tells people what you have. Um, if you only have U.S., you your sign should say that. If you're actually looking to buy stuff, you should have a you know a little sign that says what you're buying, what your area is. If you're selling Czechoslovakia, you don't need a sign that says U.S. You need a sign that says I have Czechoslovakia. And more than that, you should say comprehensive. Czechoslovakia stock, even if it's not. Right. I if, mean, if your collection's all mint or all used, you should say that. Yeah. Ask me about Czechoslovakia. There you go. I'll tell you what not to do also. And this is a, from a good friend of mine who I am not going to mention his name, but he had a sign up and it said United States mint and used. And a person walked up and said, do you have any Russia? I forget what he asked for, but he asked for another country. And this fellow stared at him and then whipped his head around, pointed at his sign and didn't say anything. And the, the guy walked away. It's like, what a dick. You know? <laughs> don't be yeah. a dick. Here, here's the first rule for trying to sell stuff to people. Put your manners hat on. Don't be a dick. <laughs> yeah. It's a to send up.
Thank you for joining us. This has been Cash, Scott, Tom, and I'm your host, Dawn. Continue the conversation at Stamp Show Here Today on Facebook. You can ask us questions, see pictures of the stamps, make comments, and add to the conversation on Facebook. You can also ask the experts your stamp questions at bluepaper at gradingmatters.com. You can listen to all of our past podcasts at stampshowheretoday.com, podbean.com, iTunes, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast listening platform. And as always, keep collecting. This episode of Stamp Show Here Today is brought to you by the Philatelic Book of Secrets, the book that teaches you about repurse, regums, color varieties, and much more. Get yours for $10 at www.philatelicsecrets.com today. Hi, this is Bob Prager with Gary Posner Incorporated, and we're in Long Island, New York, and New Jersey, and our philosophy of Gary Posner Incorporated is this. We would rather pay very fair prices on 9 out of 10 collections that we look at versus trying to just offer very low prices on 1 out of 2 and making a big score. That's never our philosophy. So if you want to be treated fairly, please give us a call anytime at 800-323-4279. And again, my name is Bob Prager. December. Address on.